0: You heard a little sniff. Maybe I'm getting the sniffles.
1: Oh, boy. No time for sniffling when there's so much hot, hot news spreading like wildfire around the world. Maybe I'm crying. Oh, you got got a sad tale to tell, my friend? It could be sad or it could be happy. (laughs) You never know on Screen Heat Miami, which is, of course, co-hosted. You like my segues there.
0: Pretty good. Uh, I was going to talk Jay about Mar- the House of Dragons. I had a really good segue.
1: You cut it. Uh, <laughs> we, we can double, double segue after our intro. I am uh, one of your co-hosts, JL Martinez, along with Kevin Sharpley. And we are, are brought to you by, of course, Kidjik Multimedia. Cinevision. The Miami media and film market.
0: And chemical.
1: Yes, so much going on, my friend. But of course, we have some two very special guests uh, in our interview today, which worse also featured in our last Miami media film market conference, where you, as you always do in such talented fashion, interviewed them for this particular podcast. It was an interview bonanza. Yes, yeah, these two particular folks uh, were great. Yeah, it was an interview, Bonanza, so many great guests, uh, and and two of our standouts, which are featured in the interview today from Sentient Pictures International, of course, Christopher Tuffin and Mr. Andy Schefter are on the show today.
0: Yeah, Sentient, doing big things. Oh,
1: yes, yeah, wrapped a big movie in Colombia, I think they're going to start another one, Sold a couple more movies at can. They're just on fire. Big movie with John Cena. Yes, yes. Big, big Baby Baller.
0: Wrestling.
1: Yes, absolutely. And of course, with uh, legendary filmmaker Pierre Morel, known for Taken, amongst other things. But uh, definitely one, a, a film that I can't wait to watch.
0: Excited about that one. Excited about this interview. It was really good. You know, when you double-fisted. Oh, yeah. I mean, double-pump it like a shotgun. It got to be good, and this one promises to deliver, and it succeeds. So I'm excited for this one. But as always, a lot of excitement about the industry. So let's just jump into it. Yes. What i was going to talk about at the top of the key, the House of the Dragon,
1: is on fire,
0: oh, yeah. blowing dragon Literally. fire. <laughs> HBO's biggest premiere. Over ten million people watched The House of Dragon. That's despite everyone's blackluster. Not everyone.
1: Mixed people, reviews. Let's call it. Let's call it mixed, mixed reviews, reviews of, the of
0: the very last episode <laughs> of the Game of Thrones. I actually liked it. Um. But The House of Dragon, I loved it. I enjoyed it. I thought it was great. It's a great setup for what's to come and also a great setup for things that happened in one of HBO's biggest hits, The Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to give a play-by-play. We don't do that here at Screen Heat Miami, and I'm okay. not going to give any spoilers. But certainly, uh, the CG was on point. The dragons, they were as animated and lively and real-looking as they ever have been, Mm. but I really did love the performance of this young actress. I mean, she really gave um, a tremendous performance, and also you know, it feels like she's going to carry the weight of the show or a lot of the weight of the show, so she's a big deal, and she's Carrying that big deal very well in that first episode, you can already feel a lot of the alliances. You can feel who's going to be the baddie of this particular season. Right. You never know, but everything was there in this first episode. Well, maybe not everything, but it was a, a, a really great setup for what's to come. And I can see exactly. why. Yeah, it well deserved uh, ten million plus.
1: Yeah. No, it absolutely is, and. You know, they used to say must see TV. Now we're saying must stream TV.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. That that's what it is now. <laughs> but we can but yeah, go we'll into watch. we can go into many, 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 many details and what is, you know, must see. But there is something that has come up lately that is on everyone's tongue or a lot of people's tongues. Talk about heat something that's hot. And I see you, you even cracked out your, yep. your stogie, or cigar, your stick for this We're particular story, and it's apropos.
1: So, yes, uh, we have a very interesting story here for an upcoming film called Alina of Cuba and a lot of casting controversy surrounding this one. Uh, for folks that are not familiar with this upcoming production, it is an independent film uh, that follows the life and times of one Alina Fernandez, uh, which folks may not know who she is, but she apparently was the one of, an illegitimate daughter of Fidel Castro, who will be played in the film by Ana Villafañe, who I've worked with in the past on the Connect Cuba campaign, uh, specifically Alina. Uh, left Cuba and sort of became a freedom fighter in her own right, uh, talking about all the uh the ills of communism and and her basically what her father's dictatorship uh for over 50 years. And so, but the casting controversy is not about Anna, it's actually about who is going to play Fidel Castro in the film, uh, and who will be none other than one James Franco. Now, obviously, anytime you're casting sort of pop culture figure slash villain you know i like i said i am cuban-american i'm from miami a lot of our listeners know that uh you know i see a portrayal fidel castro uh has to be played with the same sort of nuance as someone who would play someone like i don't know hitler mussolini you know this is <laughs> i i put i put fidel right up there with those uh historical monsters and so you know to me and the controversy was actually not that he you know, how to play Fidel, but the fact that it was going to be portrayed by someone who's not Cuban or Hispanic. Uh, One of the main vocal opponents to this casting choice was uh, John Leguizamo, uh, who spoke very strongly against, uh, quote, an American guy playing uh, a Latin figure like Fidel. Uh, But then there was an interesting sort of rebuttal to that very recently on one of the new uh, Real Time with Bill Mayer. He did a whole segment Leading off with the Fidel Castro story, saying how far is this going to go, where no one can play a role outside of their own culture heritage. You know, he also goes into you know, for example, uh, folks who have played gay characters but they're heterosexual. Uh, Tom Hanks, for example, uh, said that he now kind of regrets having played that role in Philadelphia. You know, he plays the the real life attorney who dies of AIDS. I won the Oscar for that, but he said that it probably wasn't appropriate for him to play a homosexual character, um, which is something that is hotly debated all over Hollywood. But this one particular one uh, was used as a model for, you know, why shouldn't someone who isn't Hispanic play Hispanic? You know, within our old culture, historically, for example, Andy Garcia played an Italian in The Godfather, right? Part three, he's Cuban, played an Italian. There's been many Italians who have played Cubans uh, including, you know, of course, a lot of folks Al Pacino and
0: Scarface
1: Al Pacino and Scarface. Uh, you also had, you know, in a, a little known film uh, called The Mambo King, Armando Sante, another famous Italian-American actor playing a Cuban. And so, you know, it seems that there has even to had
0: be Ben Ben Affleck in in Argo. You know, he played a Hispanic character in Argo.
1: Yeah. 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 So, you know, and and it's an interesting debate. You know, obviously, there are extremes on both sides. Obviously, you know, you can't, for example, if you remember one of our earlier interviews with your friend and colleague, uh, Mr. Uh, 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 Harriet. Right. You know, and he talked a lot. Gregory Allen Howard. Greg yeah. Allen Howard. That time were an executive pitched that Julia Roberts should play. <laughs> play uh, Harriet. <laughs> Harriet. Tubman. Like that's something that just. Well, completely- then. Come on bonkers right yeah and Bill Maher also pointed that out that that's just not realistic in any way shape or form but I think that you know in terms of someone that's kind of looks because if you visually if you look at James Franco and they did a side-by-side right in Deadline he kind of looks like Fidel he has even the similar facial hairs apparently they do share an ancestry because uh, oh. And this is actually uh, – and, and this is another interesting twist in the story. Alina Fernandez, who is the real-life daughter of Fidel, said that her – that James Franco actually looks a lot like her dad, especially when he was younger. And apparently they share some type of Portuguese ancestry. Oh. So, so there is there is that connection with Fidel yeah. himself. So it's – you know we can't – I guess just talking back to the sort of the social media jumping on things so quickly and, and poo-pooing things. You know, I think it might behoove us to kind of take a step back, kind of really analyze things and make a more educated uh, opinion when it comes to someone like this. Personally, I think if James Franco can pull off, pulling off the sort of, you know, the, the real life villain that I think that Fidel Castro was in his life for all the terrible things, to me, his ancestry and the fact that he may or may not be able to pull off the accent, to me, that's to cherry on top. Um So for me it's more about how realistically is he gonna play this human? You know, is he going to play someone that's romanticized? A lot of Che Guevara films also romanticize Che Guevara. Uh, you know, he also was was an early partner with Fidel in the revolution, also did a lot of horrible things throughout Latin America, but oftentimes romanticized in storytelling. And so I think that when you look at those things and we have to see, you know, can he portray this character realistically? For me, it's a wait and see. I want to see the film. I haven't read the script, obviously. Uh, I know Nilo Cruz also is Cuban-American, has uh, spoken, uh, obviously, in, in his own life and personal experience against what the Castro regime has stood for historically. And so this is one where I wouldn't want to say anything. I just, I want to see the film. And then I'll decide whether or not James Franco should have played this character, whether or not the film was accurate and should have even been made. But I yeah. think right now it was just way too early, and I think this—it's a bit of nonsense saying at this point that oh, just because James Franco isn't Cuban, he can't play a Cuban. We've seen it throughout history, as Bill Mayer said. Actors basically want to spend their life playing people who they're not, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's you know I thought some very valid points made by made by Bill as well in that segment, and and so again, this is one where I just kind of want to wait and see. The proof is in the pudding my friend, yeah. on this one. Well, I have a couple of things to
0: say about that. Uh, James Franco is a fine actor. I mean, he's Oscar-nominated, uh, won a Golden Globe, even though the Golden Globes are on the outs right now. But, uh, right. you know, won a, Go- won a Golden Globe, uh, you know, well-applauded actor. His career's taken a big hit, especially during the Me Too movement. Yeah. Um, a lot of alleged malfeasements. right. There's no, nothing is stuck yet, but James Franco is, I think, taking a playbook that a lot of actors take, or taking a page out of a playbook that a lot of actors take when their careers have, you know, kind of gone in a different direction and in, in a wrong direction right. by go, going into uh, in, an indie film, and he's tackling a complex character. I do agree with what you're saying, you know. And one of the most uh, complex characters in history. Um, unfortunately, that complexity is on the hellish side. <laughs> right, right. But, but I mean that. Then, but, but that's what fine actors do. You know, they try to tackle these roles where they'll be able to, you know, have some teeth, right? And and and, and put some meat on that bone. So. I can understand why James Frankel would take this role, but what you said is true. There is this kind of litmus. Our friend Gregory Allen Howard, again, <laughs> he said that, uh, and I believe him, <laughs> that when he first pitched Harriet, or when he was first pitching Harriet, that there was an executive that told him, hey, what about Julia Roberts? I mean, I know it's very far-fetched. I right. mean, I could hear that. I could hear it. I really could hear it. And, okay, so that that's kind of, you know, on on the... Further end of the spectrum, but I I didn't know this, and a lot of my Cuban friends have messaged me, and you know I've spoken with them about this James Franco casting. You're the first person who has uh, given me a, this different perspective, and also I, I didn't hear about the story that that has some heritage that is connected, which says a lot. So right. I I'm with you. I reserve my uh, my judgment to uh, seeing the movie. Um, Again, alleged malfeasance.
1: Uh, right. I'm, and I'm mi-
0: Many, many, many women.
1: Uh, and and I'm again, still could, see the if, movie. if it is proven to be true that James Franco is an a hole in real life, then he should play an a hole on screen. Maybe that's.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I did see a movie with his brother that was fun over the weekend. Oh, yeah. Okay, J- Jamie Foxx movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, him and Jamie Foxx. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was funny. another fine
1: actor that you know just killed it playing ray charles right you know just like totally nailed that one there you Um, go you know biopics yes biopics but uh you know like i said how realistic this is going to be you know if if he pulls off a you know i think we refer you friends referencing al pacino and scarface you know that that horrendous accent that he had for that film you know we'll see if he does more of a pacino or something a little more realistic like yeah uh you know his his, is aviraki Cheveria, who's now steven bauer uh who played a much more realistic cuban actually in that film because again he's cuban-american
0: isn't steven bauer yeah isn't he cuban (laughs) he
1: is he's cuban from miami and right uh, yeah yeah Yeah. so so again his his was a lot more i know he did also uh steven did try to coach uh uh, Al Pacino and some of the lingo and how to say things, but you know Al always does his own thing, and yeah. you know a lot of similar content. Yeah. Al
2: always does his own thing. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh,
1: yeah, uh, you know House of Gucci, similar issues. You know a lot of a lot of forced accents in that one, um,
3: yeah.
1: and and those roles were hit or miss. You know a lot of people thought generally that Lady Gaga did a great job, but unfortunately Jared Leto kind of fell short. Uh, on that <laughs> He was funny. One lady yeah, gaga yeah. is
0: italian though i mean she played in italian she again she's
1: italian-american al pacino is italian-american of course you know legendary godfather movies but you know obviously subtle differences between what is italian-american and what is italian-italian right i
0: uh, guess
1: you know so you know apparently he played aldo gucci who was more italian moving to america vice versa uh you know, cool, played- though. yes yes absolutely and so that's uh That's, that's always an interesting topic of discussion is, you know, how real does it have to be, you know, at one point, can we just kind of, you know, uh, play a little bit of make believe, you know, that whole suspension of disbelief that we talk about entering a fictional film or a narrative film, even if it is based on real people or real events, you know, at some point, we just have to understand that we are, we're being told a story. <laughs> by storytellers, right? At the end of the day. Yeah. And, but how and again... do we
0: know if those stories aren't stolen?
1: Ah, great segue. Yes, that's how true. How do we know? Uh, big article in Hollywood Reporter uh, about this very concept, my friend, which is this idea of um, how Hollywood is currently trying to avoid storytelling theft claims, which, you know, again, they're saying because there's so much content out there today. That could actually lessen uh, the exposure because so many new voices, so many new stories being told, you know, this is not just, you know, a small handful of sort of Hollywood insiders. Now, as we know, the industry, because of the streaming wars, has opened up so much globally you know, that we're seeing amazing stories not only out of Hollywood, but out of Spain, out of, you know, Africa, out of Latin America that are really hitting the mainstream. But how do you avoid that? Especially in the social media age where so many, uh, you know, major content creators are on Twitter and Facebook and getting hit up all the time, you know, uh, as, as the young folks like to say, slipping into the DMs and getting a PDF script from, you know, some adoring fan who would love your advice on a script. And if said content creator reads that script, and then does something in a similar genre, uh, Is does that constitute theft? Uh, so according to many notable entertainment attorneys uh, uh, quoted in the Hollywood Reporter, it actually does not. So there is certain litmus tests you have to pass. So for example, you have to kind of be pitching this story that you have to a potential buyer or studio with the intention that they wanna buy it. If you go through that process, they, let's say pass, or they say, we like your idea, produce it without you and never pay you anything that could be grounds for a legitimate lawsuit. but if it was just like hey i'd love advice on this rom-com i did 12 months later said producer known for doing rom-coms does a rom-com with a couple of similar storylines that's not grounds for any sort of uh uh, infringement copyright lawsuits whatever because again these are age-old tropes I, i think i mentioned off mic the rom com, they're all essentially the same, you know. Guy meets girl, fall in love. Guy gets girl. Guy loses girl. Spends the rest of the story trying to get girl back. That's pretty much every rom com ever made. Um, so, what has to qualify? You know, there are many more specific details that you can get into, like down to you know specific characters, setting. You know, there's so many details you have to kind of prove, right? In addition to you know do we know that this person received the material do we you know do you have to go into the script comparison and you know just because you told a great outer space movie to a an a producer known for that and they end up doing an outer space movie does is absolutely not grounds for the fact that they copied their story so there are a lot of protections as well for the content creators when being pitched new ideas but one thing that they are being told is again be careful about receiving unsolicited material, particularly yeah. on social.
0: That's a no-no. Yeah. No. Well, I have a form that I have people fill out that want to pitch right. me things or send me a script. Right. And if they're not willing to sign that form, right. Hey, I'm not going to get sued. You know, I'm not going to let. And a lot of these things are set ups too. So you know, you have right. to understand that. A lot of people are just trying to. You know, I'm no Jerry Bruckheimer, (laughs) you know, but a lot of people are trying to set up these kinds of people for a big windfall. So those potholes, you just have to be careful. Um, But I'm sure our next guests have been pitched many, 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 many stories. And they've now produced uh, many, many, many stories in their careers. So without further ado... Give you Andy Schefter and Chris Tuffin. The interview. It doesn't get any, any better than that.
2: <laughs> That's what Tom Hanks does it on this SNL. That was the thing he does. He goes, he goes, testing what we'll do syphilis? <laughs> syphilis.
0: <laughs> so, this was a great way to start it. We're here with Christopher Tuffin of Sentient and Andy Schefter of Sentient. So I'm going to let you all define your own titles. So Christopher Tuffin, can you tell us what you are for Sentient?
2: I'm the first toy maker to the king.
0: <laughs> that's, what, that's my title.
2: That's what I officially do. I guess some people would say I'm the co-founder of our international sales and production side, Sentient Pictures International. Um, but also at the same time, I wear many hats. One of them is also a manager producer. Uh, on the sentient entertainment side, and I'll delineate the two for the audience. Um, for the last 12 years or so, my wife slash partner, the brilliant, amazing, talented, and accomplished Renee Tabb, former ICM agent for Danny Boyle, Baz Luhrmann, Darren Aronofsky, Sean Marc Valet, David Cronenberg, and I started Sentient Entertainment as a management production company. We took with us uh, at that time David Cronenberg, Pierre Morel, and then added uh, Adam O'Goyan, Shaker Kapoor, William Friedkin, and a host of other filmmakers. And we were doing a, a traditional management production business. During that time, from the from the production side, we produced films like Overdrive, with uh, my now partner, producing partner, and and client Pierre Morel, who directed Taken, directed Peppermint. Peppermint we did during that time. Feud on FX for Ryan Murphy, which garnered 18 Emmys, four Golden Globes and a BAFTA nomination for our clients, Michael Zam and Jaffe Cohen. Um, uh, Maps to the Stars, which won Cannes that year, where Julianne Moore, uh, excuse me, I said won Cannes. Julianne Moore won for Best Actress that year in Cannes, and then was Golden Globe-nominated as well that year. Um, films like Cosmopolis with Robert Pattinson, uh, films like uh, a, Dan- a Dangerous Method with Michael Fassbender and Viggo Mortensen. But we increasingly found ourselves financing, packaging, Um, putting together the international sales for those clients films and over time we just decided that we wanted to have a little bit more uh, dominion over the types of projects that we did uh, making sure that our clients could get their movies made but also have a real true creative and financial partnership with them so that if we all logged a lot of hours and called in a lot of resources to put bring those films to life we all benefited in the correct way and they were able to make their films with a certain amount of control that they wouldn't be able to do if they were a work for hire, per se. So about uh, three years ago during uh, the, the onset of COVID, I was here in Miami visiting one of my daughters, and um, and I had seen one of my colleagues, Andrew Marcus, formerly the COO of Relativity on Facebook, putting up drink recipes. And I said, wow, man, he's got a lot of time to burn. So do I. So I reached out and I said, what are you up to? And he goes, nothing. I said, well, we should chat tomorrow. He goes, let's do it. And from there, we birthed the idea of creating our own international sales production finance business that would sit alongside our management and production business. And uh, and then the next call was to Andy Schefter, who we'll, you know talk about himself in about uh, two hours when I'm done speaking. And... Uh, and then we continued you know obviously pierre was already kind of a p- partner at that point in time in the production business and started to add a number of executives from europa corp from uh bringing in advisors from places who were previously been at like aramid and vintage um, and we built a very um, distribution global distribution leading business which we've now since put together first and output deals with germany switzerland austria middle east greece turkey india latin america mexico brazil russia eastern europe and in the process of closing a multitude of other territories including south africa portugal um uh, spain uh uh, uh, benelux uh, korea and we hope you know we sit around 12 13 territories now we hope to be somewhere around 15 to 18 if not more before the end of the year and that sitting alongside our own finance uh, fund partners that we've that we've uh, put together over the last year or so, we are you know really kind of a one-stop shop of writer a company that manages writers and directors, but also has its own international sales, both in-house and partners that we use for bigger pictures out of house, um, sales, finance, uh, distribution, as well as our own uh, domestic uh, 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 pay one. Uh, backstop uh, uh, deals for the U.S. as well. So that's a little bit of history in
0: terms of the company itself. Wow. that's a, So you're just kind of taking it easy. Huh? Just chilling, <laughs> Laying like a, back.
2: chilling like a villain. <laughs> <laughs> or at least playing the part. Yeah, oh, We got a lot
3: of sleep during COVID. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah, did, we did. That. We put on a lot of weight and got a lot of sleep. Hell, yeah. but that was, the. I think, the ability that we had to form the company was actually our blessing from covid that excuse me we know that none of us i think would have had time um or the capacity if life had just gone on i think the pause of covid kind of helped us right without a doubt
2: undoubtedly
0: yeah well this is a great segue into
3: what you do for Cynthia, mr andy schefter I am the EVP of Sentient. I'm the head of production and a partner in the company. Uh, I run the production side of things for our development slate and our production slate. Uh, that's kind of it in a nutshell. I don't have mm-hmm. any near yeah. the, the, the cool long story that uh, Chris has about it, but uh, you know my background is physical production and I've got 30 years of it. And so that's kind of what I bring to the table to it, is is I'm the the guy on the ground, right? So I interface with Andrew and and Chris to kind of align our plans for each of the films, right? So that what is reasonable to do physically for production, budget-wise, schedule-wise, and things like that need to align. Uh, with the finance plan that's derived by chris and andrew so it has to it has to match right we have to be able to make the movie for the amount of money that the marketplace is telling us it can be made for right so that we're not putting a huge amount of capital at risk so
0: yeah but i mean you have a storied career you know we'll get into that full disclosure andy is a really good friend of mine uh consider him like a brother and we have a couple of projects together <clears throat> Excuse me. So we may even venture into that. But I'm going to kind of start off with a fork in the road. And then we're going to meet in the middle where uh, you and Andy started working together. And I believe you worked together before we with did. another company. We, well, we did. You know, Andy and I date back
2: to, you know, when we talk in terms of Miami, which we're down here for the Miami uh uh media me, film, film market. We really need to work on that anagram. Um <laughs> MMFM. MMFM is like, you know, it's like some swinger term. Or something. <laughs> it's like weird sexual connotation. Yeah, uh, it's like something I don't want to partake in. Um, <laughs> so so we so we have um so we've known each other for God, if my daughter's twenty-two now, we've known each other twenty going oh, on twenty-five I, years. Yeah. Um, right around when I was working on There's Something About Mary and um, and then we did Chapter Zero together and then we just kept going on and on and then I brought him in as head of production when I ran Social Capital Films which was a film finance company that I ran along with my then CEO and partner Martin Shore where we were the producing partners and independent financiers for like Ridley and Tony Scott, Julie Delpy, Eli Roth, people like that. And... Um, and just like you find people in your life that you're just like, they're your glue, you know, like you just ride or die. And, uh, and, uh, and we just kind of learn that over time who you can trust, who you can rely on. And as you get older, these things that seem so pedestrian in terms of like, oh, there's a thousand line producers out there. There's a thousand producers out there. And then you realize like, all right, who's going to drive and pick me up? When my car blows out a tire at 3 a.m. in the morning, right, and that kind of version of filmmaking—like who's going to be there in a crunch, and who's just sitting there waiting for a check to roll in, right? And that's—and it's not to say that people don't need their checks, but people know, need to have somebody who they know is going to get their back. Yeah. And that's the real on it, and uh, so that's really how our relationship met, and it's been a trial by fire, and uh, but it really began here in Miami. Its infancy was here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I'm going to take you further back and both of you further back um where are you from chris
2: i am originally from long beach new york which is if you are from new york you know it's the end of the long island railroad on the southern portion portion of the long island railroad i um i grew up very humble beginnings lower upper lower class family um you know no proximity to the entertainment business um but what did we have? We had a tape recorder, man, and my brother and I would make these uh, shows that we would just like my brother and I were like prank phone call experts and we would make these shows where we would just like fuck with people. like I don't care who you are. if you were a Christian channel with a thing about adopting kids who tried to kill themselves, we would just like prank phone call you and try to convince the kids to kill themselves. or That's we would horrible. find this one dude on a religious channel. <laughs> I mean we would do shit like. If you were like knitting a quilt for AIDS patients, we would like call them and pretend we want to ask them out, and then like be like, "No, motherfucker, ah, whatever, hang up." Like we were just the worst punk fucking kids on the planet, and uh, and we kind of learned like that was like rooted in like what you see Dave Chappelle do. It's like kind of like this adversarial comedy where it's like you know it's not right. You know, like AIDS is serious, and fucking kids who want to kill themselves is serious. But when you're 13 years old and you see, like, um, I've fallen and I can't get up. Like, that shit's serious, but that shit's funny. And you laugh at it. And you're like, I know it's horrible and I'll burn in hell, but I got to make some jokes out of this and do stuff. And so we would make our own, like, mock shows. And then all of a sudden, like, Z100 in New York would start asking us to prank phone call them on this thing called Hollywood Love Lines. That my brother would hit them every Monday night. And they would create a slot just for us to call and prank them. And this was before the Jerky Boys and all that kind of shit. And then in 1993, well, let's fast forward. So I ended up playing football at the University of Houston right after Andre Ware won the Heisman during David Klingler, the run and shoot. And in 1993, just about as I'm getting ready to finish up, um, a scandal broke out. And my high school football coach was a guy named Tom DeLuca, who since passed away, and his best friend was Dick Schapp from ABC Sports. And I called Dick Schapp up and I said, you know, I played for Tom DeLuca. And now I'm a linebacker here at the University of Houston. I'm, like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, like, I'm kind of at the end of my, my run here. But my teammates are getting threatened to rescind something they did in this school newspaper called the Daily Cougar. And uh, I think it's bullshit. And I think I just wanted to hit you guys up to it. And they're like, basically, long story made short, it's like we'll have a crew there on Wednesday. And long story made short, death threats, bribes, all this different kind of shit. And the story goes on with the 1993 Emmy for best investigative story. The head coach, John Jenkins, gets fired. The AD has to resign. President University resigns, and the Southwest Conference dies. And from there, I got offered to go to work for A Current Affair in New York to be the O.J. Simpson expert. And my job was to find women who slept with O.J. Simpson. And I did that. I got booked my first story under a producer named Terry Whitcraft. And from there, I started my own golf TV series. And I did, like, Billy Tubbs for Texas Christian University and, Stuff like that and then i did my own golf tv series Uh, i had a pilot deal at espn for a show called anything but sports which got crushed and killed during the cap cities abc merger and uh and then i was kind of like broke and just kind of like trying to like just find my way in the world and was out here in miami i'd just gotten married for the first of 37 times and uh and i got offered this job doing product placement and clearances on a little 20th century fox indie movie called there's something about mary and i just became like really liked by ben stiller and the Farley brothers and my, the producers frank Bedore, um uh you know mark fisher bradley thomas and they made me have a second unit even though i'd never worked on a movie production in my life and they were basically after a certain point they're like dude you can't just keep being an asshole it says no to everything just we'll pay you to stay home and it was great but i became like really close friends to, like cameron diaz and you know people and ben stiller as i said and people like that and, uh, and I could tell you very funny stories that probably in another podcast about all that. <laughs> and then I went on and uh, produced Chapter Zero here with Andy, uh, opened mic with Dave Chappelle here, then I went to New York, I became a manager at a company called Rick Dorfman Entertainment where we had a deal in NBC. We represented like Ed Helms, Greg Giraldo, Richard Jenny, later on b- guys like Bill Burr, stuff like that. And, uh, and I... Uh, did that for like a year and then i said i'm gonna start a horror company called bloodworks and right at that moment like first two movies happened 2001 maniacs for Lionsgate with uh with robert england and uh and a, and a and a movie a russian movie called moscow chill with dorman Reedus, and I put those two films together and it was like off to the races and then i did a bunch more horror shit like huda horror with snoop dog and then it all kind of a sudden the ridley scott business came along and produced telltale with ridley and tony and developed with them like films like in vitro and uh and then you know did that for eight years movies like dark tide with Halle berry the countess with julie delpy uh i mean the list goes on and on and then comes 2011 i'm like fuck it i'm out and like i got bought the jerry lewis library became jerry lewis's partner went to france lived there for two years and then i met my current wife partner Soulmate, running my uh, running buddy, and um, and she represented all the biggest directors, and I knew how to get movies financed, and the fucking rest is we talked about in the first half.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> there you go. Don't ever,
2: don't ever ask me to rip, like run that backwards. <laughs> that.
0: But we have it for posterity yeah. here on the podcast. Okay. When I'm you dad give <laughs> to my kids. <laughs> <laughs> we will
3: know the story. Yeah, yeah,
0: that was great, and we did get the intersection point of you and Andy within that journey. So that's yeah. that's pretty that's pretty awesome. So um, Andy, where are you from? And tell us a little bit about your journey.
3: And the build up you know we're going to build up to that intersection point you know something about mary and uh it's always so hard going on after chris because he does it with such an exciting manner with so many names dropped (laughs) (laughs) my journey is like a a lot of people i you know i showed up in miami in 93 from the midwest film degree in my pocket empty bank account no idea what i was going to do that's actually a lie i came here to be a still photographer and I had been hired as one, and they, they paid to move me here. They rented me an apartment. I got here. It was furnished, right? And it I was a 23-year-old kid with a camera. And uh, it seemed like a great job at first because I was a filmmaker, but it was moving me away and going to pay me a bunch of money to take pictures of mostly beautiful women, right? So as was a 23-year-old guy. It was like, oh, this is great. Six months in, I was pulling my hair out. It was horrible. It was boring one frame a second, right? It's (laughs) like, this is not enough. Um, And I began raising money for a movie. I had written a movie. uh, It was originally called Planning Impossible Gardens, which is the name still- The name of your your uh, your company. Yeah, it's my commercial production company, Impossible Gardens. And- you know, I raised a couple hundred thousand dollars and shot this movie in 94 and it, it basically got my career going of like, oh, he made a movie and it did the little festival thing. And, and back then, if you you either sold your movie or you got into Blockbuster, nobody ever saw it again. Then I had some offers that, that relied on me basically raising another 200,000 to finish it to 35. I had shot it on 16. At that point, it was like I, you know, like a lot of writer-director types. I looked at it and went, "This is horrible, right? I can't, I can't possibly, you know, show this and raise another couple hundred grand." Now it's not that horrible, but as an artist, when you look at your own work, it's just it's never as good as you want it to be. Oh Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And that got me going. And you know, while I was editing the film, some guys out of New York called and said, "Hey, I heard from the local film commissioner that you made a movie for a couple hundred k." we've got 500,000, would you produce our movie? Right, and I'm like, looking at my bank account, thinking, yes, yes, I will, (laughs) right? So I went off and did that movie. And then somebody else, a producer was like, hey, will you help me make mine? So I went and I production managed that one. And it kept going. At the same time, being in the Miami market, even at that time when Miami, excuse me, was the number three place in North America for production, there wasn't tons and tons of stuff here. So I started getting into commercials and music videos as well. And I say that on the music video side, it it really dropped when I got a call literally out of the blue one day and was like, hey, I've got a Gloria Estevan video that shoots next week, I can't do it, will you do it? And I'm like, I haven't done a music video this big before, right? What was the budget? It was a half a million dollars in 1995, yeah. and so at that point, I was I was doing music videos, but for like local acts at 50k, or people yeah. from Atlantic Records you never heard of for 100, 150, and that popped, and next thing I knew, I'm doing J-Lo, 50 Cent, Lenny Kravitz, and you know, all these videos, and I became one of the guys here for music videos, so coming out of LA or New York, there was just a few of us down here, but everybody wanted to come here and shoot, so I'm, you know i'm doing that um producing chase manhattan bank commercials and bell south commercials but while still doing like a move one movie a year right and like keeping this pattern going of a movie a commercial a couple of music videos and, and keep keeping myself working and as chris said in, in the late 90s we met on the movie chapter zero and we stayed friends right a lot of times you do a movie you, you know, work with the fellow producers, and you get done with the movie, and maybe one of the two of the people in the film you gravitated towards, and you stay in contact with, and you keep a relationship alive, and that was Chris and I's relationship, you know, we didn't work together for a couple years after Chapter Zero, but spoke regularly, and advised each other regularly on what we were doing, and what we were working on, and offered advice where we had it for yeah. each other, and we're just friends right producers who are friends right not you know getting anything at necessarily financial out of each other but staying friends and that's actually seldom in this world because yeah. you go right to the next movie and you're so zeroed in on it it's hard yeah. right I think, I
2: think people make that mistake where they think and i've used this anecdote anecdotally throughout this conference which is you know it's something my wife really glued me onto, which is the notion of you know 10 dimes versus 100 pennies right like you just need ten dimes. You need ten dudes who rise rise with you. Um, if one of them, you know, slacks off, like you know, never cut them off as a friend, but don't slow yourself down for them. Yep. But to just have like, like I see people go to festivals and markets and they come away and they're like, I got one thousand business cards back, like business cards, like a like a track, <laughs> that like, shit people used to have, and you're just like no like how can you even follow up with that many people like find who are the five best people you connected with and how can you i always use this term as he knows it all too well i say you can be opportunistic and genuine at the same time they're not mutually exclusive if you're a guy there could be a girl that you want to sleep with that you think is really cool and you want to be friends with her too doesn't mean you might take your shot like hey you want to hook up no i don't I shouldn't have said that because I really value your friendship first yeah. you really do like you like her like she likes the Mets and she likes like MMA and she's like she's like smoke weed with you and you can like, hang out with her that's a friend but, but that's a friend right <laughs> but then like she don't want to sleep with you well you you take major shot and you stayed friends with her that's yeah. genuine and opportunistic that's the crossroad in which they meet and versions of that iterations of that happen in in life and business all the time where there's some i i want to get something out of somebody but i'm not willing to sacrifice the friendship in pursuit of the selfish objective yeah and that's where i think there you find a camaraderie with people where it's like maybe this wasn't the day that I could get you to help me with my movie. But guess what? I'm still going to show up to your kid's birthday party and bring a nice gift, and I'm going to do shots with you, and we're going to go you know, shoot hoops afterwards because I like you. You're my friend. like We're cool. Yeah. And then next time I'm going to take a shot, I'm going to send you my movie. And maybe you never lands. Maybe it lands one out of every five times, but it's not completely predicated upon what I can get out of you. Mm-hmm it's it's a hybrid it's, it's there's a dual path to it's, it
3: it's symbiosis at, at the same point right? in time
2: like yeah. I, at the same time come i don't necessarily like motherfuckers who um like or like they can't help you and they just don't want to fucking help because they're like i don't have to help this motherfucker he's my friend like i got him in pocket i don't need him yeah. anymore and i yeah. won't name names but there's a lot of people out there like that too feel like they never have to pay they never have to f- um stretch to help a friend
0: but, but like, my friendship is that friendship is about that it's
2: about stretching if you yeah. ain't stretching then you ain't a real fucking friend with. so don't act right. like i'm trying to get over on you because you're getting over on me in some way by treating me like i'm a second class citizen
0: yeah yeah So, yeah that's great and you know within there you know you're already giving advice i mean you know really incredible advice this show we talk about you know this outreach and You know, giving not only advice to people who are starting in the industry, but to people who are in the industry. And this is like life advice, you know, so this this is amazing. I want to take it to then this connection in terms of you all working together in in a bigger sense, the social capital. So I know that you guys work together.
2: Yeah, we did did that. Um, I was there for eight years and I ran the company um, day in, day out had a ceo and a and a and a, and a, and a partner and a, still a friend and a great guy named martin shore like one of the legit self-made high net worth guys who's an artist who's a, who's a who's a, who's just a visionary cool guy um and he's he just like did the craziest shit he remind me of it all the time he'd be like man i just let you like go run a company for eight years and there uh, and this is a true story and he if he hasn't heard this story before he, he should hear it now um um, like towards the end of my tenure when I was there, like I was just like over, I was burned out. Like I was burned out like by everything, I was just done. And I was like, called my assistant up one day and I said, um, and I said, uh, I said, and I was with Lindsay at that time, and I said, like, hey, you gotta go and find me a place to, to move in, in Cannes. Cause I'm gonna go to the film festival, I'm never gonna come back. And she's like, what about your job? And I'm like, well, if these motherfuckers fire me, if we, like, wanna fire me, they can fire me, but I'm not coming back. Two years later, I moved back. They never even knew I was fucking gone. <laughs> like,
1: and then, they, and then I
2: came back two years later, they wow. re- and they renewed my deal. Oh, and um, I wish I could do that. I know, and it was like, um, and it was just like, because I was performing. Like it wasn't about being in L.A. It was the fact yeah. that I was there, and I got the Jerry Lewis deal. And I was making all this shit. We were making Dark Tide and doing all this other stuff, and I was paying for myself. You know, in terms of like, I brought in as much money as they spent on me. But I was like, I was done. But Martin, like, was so cool. They, like, never, like, checked me on that. It was never about, like, being in the office every day. It was like, are you making more money than we're spending on you? Right. And that's really the way I look at employees for the most part. Like, can you pay for yourself? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think that's the way agencies now look at the agents, too. They're like, the, you know, the average cost of a desk at an agency is about $385,000, meaning the, the assistant, to, the phones, the travel, the prorated portion of their office, office in the building. Yeah. And first thing they look at when they're whacking agents is like, all right, who is who isn't paying for themselves? I knew this was dude who was at ICM who got in this very embarrassing scandal, and I won't mention names because it's tied up in litigation. But um, but he uh, he like went over there for like one and a half million dollars, and like one year after like first year, he grossed eighty five grand in commissions, and they brought him in, and they're like, we're paying you like one and a half million dollars. And, like, you grossed $85,000 last year. <laughs> and you hear these stories, and you're like, well, how do I, like, what's the art form to not getting fired? The art form to not getting fired is pay for yourself.
3: <laughs> <laughs> right? Right? Like bring, in,
2: bring in $1 more than you cost.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. $1, that's
2: it. <laughs> I mean, if you're, if you're somebody that people value because, like, maybe in that situation, like, in that company, like, I might have not hit my stride yet as a producer. But the great thing was is my CFO – my ceo or great still my my boys till today they knew i had some degree i had the goods Mm -hmm. it just wasn't the timing just didn't work out like it didn't pop on their watch but now what they always say to me they'll call me up like we need a favor from you and i'm like hey man i haven't worked for you in years like they're like motherfucker we put you in charge of a company when no one else would
0: (laughs) you're gonna pay back this karmic (laughs) debt i was like fuck what i gotta do for you that's great um so uh when social capital was around, was this the first time you all worked together in this type of capacity?
3: Kind of, yeah, Yeah, I mean, I think otherwise it was all just advising each other on stuff. It was, or like
2: we took runs of some projects producing together, like The Basement and shit like that. Like we we kind of took at least a couple of runs, but that was the first time we formally did and it was always like we always intended to. It was always like when we get the chance to do something that's like our thing someday, right? right? It was someday. always
3: the the someday the yeah, thing som- that we can control. And yeah, it was I, and it was
2: funny because my you know my wife comes so much from the agency side and she's so you know integrated in Hollywood. There's not any. Ex- you know, I, I go to the Golden Globes with her or the Emmys with her, and there's just nobody she doesn't know. I don't care if it's Donna Langley or Ron Meyer or or Toby Emmerich or Michael De or Scott Stuber or whoever, and they're going to be like, hey, Renee, and who's the bald guy? And <laughs> and uh, I'm like, I just hold her bag. And uh, so I married somebody who was very inside Hollywood, but, I, but when we started the company, there were three or four individuals that I um, – I, I always say, like, it's like, we have a bunch of beautiful, brilliant, multi-ethnic, diverse executives – and then we have a bunch of balding or bald-headed guys who work in a fucking in a basement, locked chain to a typewriter, and we do all the work. And uh, but we have a lot of people who are very attractive and pretty <laughs> that sit in our executive ranks. <laughs> and when we put the company together, I was like, listen, I want to bring over these three or four people because I know they're, they are, they are, they are, um, you know, they are, they are workhorses. Like they're going to do the work. Uh, I, I think Andy, Kevin, myself. Um, I think you know Kev- our Kevin's our
3: general counsel. Yeah, our, 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 our gen- oh, Ken- yeah.
2: general Ke- Kevin Mills. Shout out to him, and um, and now I think Matt, you know Matt Matt included, who advises us, and and I said to my wife, I said, look, like there are some people out there who have incredible skills, and Hollywood is never going to open the door for them, especially now in an era where like you know being like a white straight male um, is like a fucking you know might as well be a fucking you know uh eight armed monster you know in terms of like you know like the people wanting to work with you in hollywood because diversity is key right now and uh and especially in those echelons maybe balance that out a little bit and uh and i'm like but that's also opened up a lot of talented people that are out there who just want to just want the man to show them some love so i feel like we as a company Um, we're able to give affirmative action to balding white
3: men. (laughs) Okay, so I would like to state I am not bald yet. (laughs) Yeah, you (laughs) got a lot of air. He's not. not. (laughs) I mean, I do too on my
2: testicles.
0: (laughs) uh, (laughs) As you get older, yeah, it goes the other way. It goes the other way, way. yes. So we don't have a lot, a lot of time, but I do want to kind of separate a little bit of this because I want to hear about um, just – maybe two stories from you, and Andy, you worked with uh, Larry Clark on uh, Bully, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm, you know, a fan of his films, but that was one of the biggest films uh, at that time that was here, and so can you just talk about that experience, how you got involved, and, you
3: know, what you did for that film? I got involved, I brought, brought into the movie through a company called Muse Entertainment, uh, Chris Hanley is the, the principal there. I, got oh, in, I know that crazy motherfucker. Absolute, <laughs> absolutely crazy, inventor of Hollywood hot tubs. Um, many stories behind, behind that, but it was a, a Lionsgate film, it was pretty low budget, two and a half million dollars in the year 2000. And it was a, a, a true crime story. It takes place here in Miami, and it was really kind of crazy when they came to me about it because I actually had a small connection to the actual story that the, 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 the perpetrator of the crime was the son of a friend of mine was, who was the vice president of Continental Film Labs in Miami, and so, if you shot movies or big productions that shot on motion picture film in Miami, you almost certainly knew Marty Puccio Sr. because he was who you negotiated your rates with. And so, here I am, you know, negotiating the rates for the movie about his son right. at his desk, right? A month after he had passed away from a heart attack that was brought on by the stress of his son being on death row. It was so bizarre of of a kind of, you know, situation. But it was a really tough movie because we had, you know, not very much money. We had all these young actors. Brad Renfro, we literally picked up Brad out of rehab and had him driven down with a chaperone. This is an 18-year-old kid who was addicted to alcohol at 11, right, when he was discovered with the movie The Client. And... uh, you know, it, it, it was crazy. I mean, we were tossing our actors' trailers because they were all doing there was lots of drugs. And right. it was just it was a crazy, tough experience. Brad got arrested for trying to steal a yacht, right? We had, you know, we had all the, like, the TMZs of the day, you know, Access Hollywood. And didn't and, and, he, like, the boat was moored, right? Yeah, so he so tore so the back so off the <clears throat> So, So, like, the great story is, so, like, he had, he, even though he had a chaperone, the chaperone was with him, he snuck out of his hotel room, at like 1 o'clock in the morning to go meet this guy to go do drugs. And they go and they do some drugs and they go back to the hotel. And it's a hotel in Fort Lauderdale. It's got a marina in the back. And he had met this guy earlier in the day and the guy said, oh, sometime you can use my boat, right? So at 3 in the morning when he's completely hammered, all coped up, he and this guy go out to this boat. It's like a 60-foot, you know, yacht, small yacht. And the keys are there. And he they, they fire it up and they go and then they untie it. They untied one of seven tie lines and tried to pull away. Oh, no. Right? So the the transom got torn. It pulled part of the dock off, and it was, like, about $185,000 to fix or something like that. It was an insurance claim. That's crazy. Got arrested, right? I'm leaving a very important piece out. It is 30—this is all taking place 36 hours before the first day of principal photography. So on the day before principal photography, our lead actor has disappeared, and we cannot find him. So the production office is calling every hospital, every police station. We cannot find him anywhere. At 5 p.m., we get a call from one of the police stations, calls us back and says, they just brought him in. He was in the back of a van, and it was doing pickups around all the police stations to take him to county. And that's why he didn't show up in any of them. Wow. Luckily, the, some city commissioners from Fort Lauderdale very much helped us out that we would be able to do a cash bail that night. Had to get the accountant out of the hotel and go to the production office and raid the safe for all the petty cash on production. I'm, like, calling the art director. If no, you have uh, any petty cash left on you, please give it back to me and so that we could cash bond him out. And we got him out at, like, 11 p.m., when we had a six A call the next day. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. I love that. So that's an incredible helicopter. That was great, you know. That's
3: that's yeah. And that that was the easiest day of production on the movie Bully. <laughs> I'm not kidding. When that movie was over, I tell people like my 15, 10, 15 years of production before that, right? I had more problems, more nightmares more issues on on those 20 days of filming than in the previous 10 plus years wow and i was like i need to write a book but you know it was precluded by my nda <laughs> so we're going to do rapid fire here okay. i'm just going to name
0: some names and okay. if you could give me a rapid fire story or okay. a rapid fire uh, uh, mention okay
2: cool all right ready go ridley scott yeah. um my of my experiences producing with ridley scott the the most informative one was it was uh, God knows, was like I'm gonna say, it was Christmas. A th- couple days after Christmas, 2006-ish, um, maybe 2007-ish. I forget. It gets blurry after a while. And we're in color correction. We're doing a DI together. It was Ridley Scott, Michael Costigan, his former uh, president of, of uh, Scott Free Productions, and my former assistant Bailey Conway, who went on to become the producer of Insidious and Sinister, and she's just a brilliant and. Talented and amazing human being, so we're in the color correction, and all of a sudden it goes like this master class, and he goes, um, he goes like you know he goes, let me ask you a question, and I'm like, uh, yeah, sure. He goes, why an alien? Do you not see the monster until 45 minutes into the movie? And I'm like, uh, I don't know, and he's like because if you don't care about the victims, then you won't care about it when they die. And I'm like, okay, no duly noted. I recite that all the time, and then he goes, what movies did you see over Christmas? And I go, okay, so this will date it, right, to whatever year I go, Marley and me. He goes, who was in it? I go, Jennifer Aniston. He goes, fucking cunt. That's a true story. (laughs) That is a true story. (laughs) um i cannot be sued for for telling that tale i guess she had divorced brad Pitt, or they were divorced he was friends with brad Pitt. i'm sure he had his reasons um (laughs) go ahead (laughs) jerry lewis jerry lewis first time i meet jerry lewis must be like 2010 2011. i'm in little las vegas he has an office outside of las vegas in a strip mall where you would think dentists would be or like you know people who sell children's orthopedic shoes um, and uh, I go in there, and he has a plate there. And in the plate is six donuts. And so imagine a circular plate with circular donuts, and it's vanilla, 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 chocolate in the middle. Now, there's a famous story that Jerry, when he was at, had his deal at Paramount, was in a meeting with executives, and he went to the bathroom, and he left behind a, a briefcase. And in that briefcase was a tape recorder, and he recorded all the shit that they talked about him so he could call them on it later on. So when I first meet Jerry, I go, hands because would well, you want a donut and i'm like i go i go you know what i do want a fucking donut and uh and i want that fucking chocolate donut but i know the stories about you with paramount and all that other shit and everything with you is a test so as much as i want that chocolate donut i'm just gonna have that vanilla donut so he's looking to be like yeah like kid, you did your homework i like got kind of and like take the vanilla donut take a bite after the meeting is done, he goes, Would you like a donut for the road? And I reach in, I grab the chocolate donut, I take a bite, I go, At this fucking point, we're making a deal or not. And I throw the donut back down and I walk out. <laughs> oh! Okay. Um, William Freakin, the devil. Um, not just made a movie about the devil, but he is the devil. He's so fucking crazy, this guy, that he, we were making him, putting a movie together called Trapped with Diane Kruger, Damien Bashir. And I want to say it was to Harvard at the time or Dominic Cooper. I don't bounce between those two guys. And he finally calls up one day. He's like, This movie's not real. It's not happening. Um, I'm not going to go to uh, Benelux, Belgium. I'm not going to go to Belgium. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to be on the set. I'm not going to go there for the production for The Scout. I'm done. The movie's not going to happen, whatever. I'm like, Fine, fuck, fine. You want to kill this, whatever? It's done, whatever. I called up all the actors. They said, We're done. We're not making this movie. Billy doesn't think this shit is real or whatever. And then, like, fast forward to, like, like A couple weeks later, it's Billy Freakin' on the phone. It's like, I'm here in Luxembourg. I'm ready to do the scout. I'm like, dude, you're fucking crazy, dude. Like, I banned this movie, like, two months ago when you fucking said it was bullshit. (laughs) And I realized, like, that, like, there are some people out there who just, like, they live in old Hollywood and they want to fucking play games and they're fucking big bullies. And the only way that you can back them down is, like is to say fuck you and like i'm not gonna take your shit like i love and respect ridley scott but one time he flexed on me on something and i said i love you to death your movies made my career shaped my everything about my career and everything i love about hollywood but make no mistake oh man i'll sue you the fucking cows come home if you fuck me on this deal and i got a call like a later from the fucking lawyer it was like whatever you said to him it worked because he's blah blah blah, blah, blah. and it's like sometimes you just got to flex on motherfuckers because that's how they got to where they were yeah
3: like freaking always wanted first class air for his like wife and family yeah. and all this stuff. Like he was still on the top yeah. of everything, but it was like, well, how would how'd your last movie perform?
2: Yeah, no, they're just they just they never want. You know, it's funny. Professional athletes will acknowledge to you when they are past their prime. Like Albert Pujol ain't looking for a forty million dollar contract, even if he got not voted to the all-star game because of what he's accomplished he understands like he's kind of like almost like a league minimum guy at this age people in hollywood think that their value should never fucking change from the highest paid day that they ever had yeah you know
0: they don't look at like what they batted last season yeah yeah so um last one and you've already given a lot of advice so yeah. i'm not going to do my last question but i'll when you leave i'll get from yeah. andy last one your neighbor oh my neighbor i live next to a
2: horrible evil soap opera actor and that's not really advice. You just want a funny story.
0: Well, you've already given me advice. You've given everybody oh, you advice, advice all throughout this. Yeah. Year. I
2: lived next to a horrible Days of Our Lives actor. I just won't name his name because he's very litigious. But he's the fucking devil. He's worse than William Friedkin. And if this was back in the 80s, I'd beat the shit out of him and just kick him until he was bloody in the street. And then I'd do my night in jail and pay him a bail. But now I'm worth too much money and they'd sue me and I'd be fucked. So this guy the other day was like fucking, like flexing on me about my trash can and what I, like I put it out too soon or I was part on his property. And I finally just went all New York on him. I was like, you fucking loser, soap opera actor. You fucking nobody. Nobody remembers the fuck you are. Get away, you see no old fucker in this. And this is the one thing as I learned in life. Like, uh, you might think you're fucking bad, but come up against a fucking New York prank phone calling college football playing motherfucker like me, and you will fucking wish that you were still back in the 1970s, because I'm bringing on fucking as hard as anybody.
0: <laughs> what a way to bring it full circle! <laughs> 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 that was great. That is the way to bring it. You put your whole journey in that one little well, statement yeah, right yeah, there. right there at the end. Football, prank, New York. Yeah, New yeah, York, everything. I'd
2: mic drop, but I'd break your table. <laughs> 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 Thank you, Chris Tuffin. You're so welcome, my this friend. This was
0: great. Thank you for having us. Yep. Yeah. Um, I need one more thing. Andy, advice. About to people coming Always into the look industry. Ways before you in cross the industry. The industry. No, best
2: advice that was ever given to me by my uncle, who's a lawyer and a very smart man. Um, when I was did a little small tenure as a sport I was Dion Sanders partner for a New York Minute and, and had him on a producing deal. And uh, and and he said to me, he goes, Pigs get fat and the hogs get slaughtered right and I know that's not he didn't invent that it's been around for a while but there's a, there is a profound truth to the pigs get fat and the hogs get slaughtered which means you know don't don't don't, don't grab for too much too soon yeah. it'll come to you in time love it Andy
3: hmm I have so much that I could say right you know there's just so much advice but I would say the The one piece of advice that I would give everybody in this industry, no matter where you are, beginning or end, is just keep on keeping on, right? This is an industry that is filled with rejection. It's filled with people telling you no, 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 no. And you just keep having to knock on the door and, and trying to get an answer, trying to get that yes. And it might be the hundredth knock where you get that yes finally. So, you know, don't be discouraged, keep going. Keep on keeping on, right? And then try to do it with a positive attitude. Yeah. You know, people want, people want to be in the room with people who are, are happy, right? I mean, part of the reason why Chris and I have worked together for so long is we like each other's company, right? And we bash heads, right? We argue, we scream at each other, we do all the things that coworkers and friends do with each other, but it just, you know, it all brushes off and you keep going. So you, you want to be somebody that people want to work with, right? So no problems, just solutions, right? One of my main, say it all the time, no problems, just solutions. You just have to figure out the way, right? What's the way through? Um, that's probably the, the thing that I would give to everybody, right? No's not an answer, right? An indefinite maybe, it's a possibility, but you're always looking for either that yes or the way through. Way through the problem, how do you solve it? How do you stack all everything up so that you can get it done? Because in the end, this is about that, right? You know, I always say, this is film is an art form, but we work in the movie business, the entertainment industry, right? In the end, we are making a product, we are taking it to market, we are selling it to people, and you have to do that repeatedly you know, while not losing money. Yeah. That's the trick of a career, you know? So again, it's just it's keep on keeping on, right? When you're tired, you just got to go, oh, I'll sleep, you know, next week, right? Or whatever it might be. But there's a lot of heavy lifting, a lot of paper, a lot of legal, a lot of finance, a lot of stuff that's not the creative is what it takes to, to, to get it made. And, you know, finding that balance with all of it and just keeping going. Right. Never try to never be discouraged. Right. That's the hard thing. Try to never be discouraged. Every one of those people who's telling you no, they're going to be gone one day. Somebody else will be sitting in their, in their seat. Right. Certainly at the studios and whatnot, and and even us in our company. Right. I mean, we're who we are. One day we're either gone and the company's gone, or we sold it to somebody else, and we're, we're dead and gone. Right. It's maybe I'm projecting way too far in the future. I hope. Um, but the reality is is the industry is constantly changing. The no's can turn to yeses. The people who said no can turn into other people, right? And you don't know. So, again, you can't get discouraged. So many people go out and they make one film and it doesn't do well and that's it. They, oh, I lost money. I can't make more or whatever. And they don't just keep at it. That's the trick of it is per- perseverance, having yeah. a thick skin, not really, you know, you, you do need to listen to criticism. You do need to listen to your peers because they can help guide you. But you also have to take it with a grain of salt. Everything everybody says is subjective. I mean, we at Sentient read so many scripts, right? We, we manage a lot of writers, uh, not to mention they write things for us, right? We come up yep. with an idea and like, hey, which one of our writers isn't writing anything right now? See if they want to spec one for us, right? And they will. So we read lots. lots of stuff, right? And you've got to be able to read things and say, hey, is this good or not good? And again, all subjective, yeah. right? Everything within this business is subjective, except the dollars that come from ticket purchases. <laughs> That's right. right. Yep. Wow. So this has been an
0: incredible, incredible interview with uh, two superstars of the industry. We're at the Miami Medium Film Market. Um, they've been on a couple of panels, and they have... Blown up this spot and they've blown up this mic. So thank you very much.
1: All right. Okay. And we are back. Stories. <laughs> story, 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 my friend. Great man. job once again. Great job again interviewing these guys at the MMFM this year. Thank Not you. Thank you. Thank
0: park. you. Chris had a lot of stories. After a finish, he had even more. I mean, <laughs> man, this guy's led. He's led a life. I mean, I have a lot of stories, but they aren't like that. <laughs> he should have heard what was off mic. Absolutely. But, but um, you know, very successful. He's worked with a lot of people, worked his way up. Same thing with uh, Andy. They both uh, have worked their way up into a position where, you know, sentient can really, really do some big things in this industry. We mentioned, you know, they just finished that film with John Cena. We're both excited about seeing it. Andy, Chris, we're wait, we're we're waiting for our premiere tickets. Yeah. Sir, sirs, so. Standing yeah, but, uh, by. Great, yeah, great interview, uh, Chris and Andy. Of course, that had some great stories too. So, um, we'll see you at the premiere. Oh. Uh, so I just wanted to uh, get back to something. I just realized that. I didn't say the young actress's name from the House of the Dragon. Her name is Millie Alcock, and Millie Al- Alcock blew it up. Mm. She, blew, she blew her fire, was as big, as hot, and as strong as uh, the dragon in that first episode or any of the episodes, so great job, Millie Alcock. Absolutely. Very, very quick, I talked about one of the movies that I saw over the weekend, which was the Jamie Foxx. And Dave Franco movie, which I enjoyed, you know it was kind of fun, fair, I think uh it had a fifty three percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Sometimes you just want some popcorn movie, and it was very funny. Another movie that I saw over the weekend because I do have a two year old and this is her favorite movie now. <laughs> it's just crazy is luck um, I really enjoyed this movie uh. Animation, I think one of the, the biggest an- animated pieces from Apple TV, I've enjoyed just about everything that I've, I've seen uh, that, that, is, that has come from Apple TV. It feels like they're really moving for premiere type of fare. And so, you know, I've never been a full device Apple person. I am now with Mac and iPhone and iPad and all of these things. But I can say that uh, their imprint, in terms of, um, you know, content, is as strong as their offerings. So, it, or any of their other offerings. Absolutely,
1: so they are players. They, they,
0: <laughs> they are players. So that's a good one on that. But also uh, the host of the show that we just got a network deal on, uh, Colin O'Donohue. I have to give a shout out to him. He plays Jerry. One of the uh, little leprechauns, super ah. funny, nuanced performance in that film *In Luck*. So, great job, Mr. O'Donohue.
1: Yes, and congrats to you, Kevin. Your show has a little luck of the Irish.
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe that <laughs> that is telling. I'm heading off to Ireland in September, oh. so yeah, we have an event that's uh, associated with that same show, *The Sync Report*, and Colin O'Donohue is actually going to debut a song with Patty Casey, one of our, Ireland's uh, biggest artists at that concert. So excited about that. I'm gonna grab as many clovers as I can. Maybe I'll get to see some of my ancestors too, because you know, I have that little Irish uh, lineage in oh, the background.
1: Slansha, my friends, sláinte.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm gonna draw on all the luck, all the yes. luck to make sure that this show uh, that uh, debuts in January, Uh, debuts strong. But you want to know who needs more luck than all of the luck that I just mentioned? Mm. Warner Brothers Discovery.
1: Oh, And particularly, you know, the the storied franchise of the DCEU. What a hot mess. (laughs) It's like a dragon fire hot mess. Mm, yeah, you know, between the shelving of Batgirl and now all the controversy with Ezra Miller, uh, which apparently has been testing great. A lot of folks really seem to be responding to the new Flash movie.
0: It, it, uh, it didn't
1: just test great. Yeah. it tested better than any
0: of their movies.
1: Yeah, yeah. And this was supposed to be the reveal of Batman Beyond, right? You know, like this was a big, big uh, potential breakout for DCEU, but now again, so much controversy regarding the, their star, Ezra Miller. And, you know, talk about, we talked about some of the real life troubles James Franco was having, but boy. Let's talk about trouble. And, oh. you know, this kind of, you know, I feel
0: disheartened about this because, you know, I have a peer that uh, Ezra Miller was supposed to star in her movie. Oh, and, yeah. yeah, yep. Some of that I work with very closely. Oh, wow. And, all the the entire time since I would say about January, you know right. she talked about some of the troubles and these things, and then boom, you know, so uh they've since replaced him, but you know the writing had been on the wall and i could I could tell you another thing that kind of upsets me is you almost felt like this movie was going to test well, it's Michael Keaton's premiere back as Batman. Yes. I mean what a, it's huge. And a lot of people are talking about that performance. I so, know. Yeah. I, I think that DC is still going to come out with the film because you can start to feel some of this, you know, softening of the Ezra effect.
1: Yes, uh, yes. Starting with his major Mia Culpa and uh the whole thing that, you know, obviously he's seeking help, you know, uh for his mental health issues and all the sort of stuff that he has going on in his personal life. And uh, you know, hope that's enough to justify um pardon the Justice League pun, uh justify the release of of this highly anticipated flash film at the very least.
0: Yeah, but you know, We'll see. It's same, similar, man. You know, I mean, he he does have some Me Too uh, moments right. peppered in right. there. E- even an alleged kidnapping. I mean, it doesn't get much yeah. worse than that. Broken uh, into of, a a house, mi- of, house. of a minor.
1: Right, right. All sorts of alleged improprieties, let's say. Uh, but yeah, like I said, we'll see what sticks or what doesn't. But just seems like just a, a troubled person personally in terms of everything we've been seeing and hearing uh in, in the news. And again, hopefully he, if he is indeed in need of help, hopefully he can find that help, just you know, beyond the world of cinema, just kind of hopefully, you know, write his own self as a human being, right? Yeah. First.
0: But you know, Zavlov has in and this is per uh the article, Zavlov has given his um you know, uh, approval mm. for the film to move forward in a board meeting call. So, right. right. you know, when when the CEO uh, kind of says it's a go, then I, I think that they're going to go with it. But that's not uh, all the trials that are happening with uh, the DCCU, which is, it almost feels like their films aren't, This kind of strung together cinematic universe more than their kind of these separate runs, right? Doubles, triples, some are home runs. Wonder Woman, the first one was a home run. The second one, not so much. Aquaman was a home run, but you know the second one, other troubles. You know, Amber Heard, Um, yeah. And and now, you know, The Rock. Yeah, he. When was the last time he didn't have a hit? But he's playing black adam yep. and so you know that's going to be a really good point for them but they've had a lot of you know strikeouts uh, a lot of bunts and so
1: and then and contra- then you know so, some risks that they've taken and and you know to to dc's credit they have taken creative risk you know uh, especially our friends at Braun that were a production company on joker Which was a totally different take than we were expecting. And now, uh, the highly anticipated sequel, which we now know will star Lady Gaga. Yeah. Uh, And and that's.
0: Yeah, when I say bunts, I mean, look, from what I understand, Batgirl is pretty good. That's from what I hear. Mm. But to just not release it. And this, you know, we talked about, you know, opportunities for other uh cultures the back girl was uh is hispanic and so this would have been hispanic Batgirl girl yeah and so this yeah. would have been yeah you know kind of a historic feat
1: but uh we'll see yeah, yeah we'll see
0: yeah I think no, there's they-
1: a right it's it's a lot of we'll see with the DCEU. Uh, and, <laughs> right. and, and, and like you said, you know, there's just a lot of disparity. It doesn't really have the same gelling as the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And obviously so much credit goes to Kevin Feige and what he's done with that franchise. And yeah. created everything. No so, we'll
0: see moments over there at Marvel.
1: No, no, no. Everything is like, you know, bigger, better, badder. Uh, and, and, and it seems like that's just going to continue. Uh, but, you know, it it feels like it's such a slick operation over there uh, yeah. where everything is strategized even years, maybe even a decade in advance, um, where the DCO just feels a little, you know, flying by the seat of their pants sometimes. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, we did
0: talk last week about, or not last week, but the week before last, about their phase five and their phase six. So they are, we know that they're well thought out in advance because the information that goes out to the public lets us already know where they're coming out with this film. I mean, they're already like phase five and phase six. That's at least, that's 10 films. So we already know what films are coming out. And so, I mean, it doesn't get much more uh, put together than that. So we'll see. Okay, DC, I'm
1: here. (laughs) I'm waiting. (laughs) Yes, Absolutely. So uh, let's, uh, let's move on to Emmy nominations. Yes, yes, yes,
0: Emmy noms. Um, we're going to go through this very quickly because we'll be talking about the Emmys all the way up yep. until the Emmys. Yep. I'm, I'm excited because a lot of the shows that I've seen have been nominated and uh, shows that I've participated in all the seasons of the show. And then some that I've seen just a couple of the shows. But uh, I'm going to lead, lead it out with Better Call Saul, outstanding drama series, because they're ending their run now. Yeah. And what a run. Just amazing, amazing show. Euphoria, that's one of my daughter's favorite shows. Ozark was one of my favorite shows. And I think that this is the end for Ozark. But right. it's been a nail biter. Uh, every episode, I'm like, okay, I'll watch this tomorrow. And I'm like, no, I can't touch Ozark. Not tomorrow. Right. You know, it's just not going to work for me. I'm not in I'm not in the place to watch it. Um, Severance, which I haven't seen, but of course, you know, I've heard incredible things about that. Squid Game, extraordinary. I'm very happy Squid Game yeah. is in there because it, it, you know, really this show was something that was unique. I've not seen anything like it. Stranger Things this last season, oh, monster, you know, yeah, m- monster. And then you just think Kate Bush. I mean, they talk about the upside down people dying. Talk about a song that was resuscitated, and they brought that song into the number one spot by the sheer power of the show. Mm. Power, Mm. sheer power, secession. Arguably one of the best shows on TV. It's in my top three. Uh, Yellow Jackets, I have not uh, had the opportunity to watch, but I've heard only, only good things. Um, and then we're just going to breeze some, through some of these. Ozark, which is Jason Bateman already talked about Ozark. Brian Cox, Cox, Succession. Lee Jung-jae, of course, for Squid Game. Uh, Bob Ottenkirk for Better Call Saul. And then uh, Jerry Mishrong for Succession. Lead actress, uh, Jodie Cummer uh, for Killing Eve. Uh, I've not seen the next season uh, because it, not, it has not come across the pond as yet. Uh, Laura Linney for Ozark well-deserved, Sandra O. Killing Eve, Reese Wilderspoon, The Morning Show, I haven't watched the second season, I watched the first season, Extraordinary, Zendaya for Euphoria, um, I've not watched that, it's my daughter's favorite show, right. uh, Outstanding Supporting Actor, mm-hmm. Secession again, you got Billy Crudup for The Morning Show, Nicholas Braun for Secession, that is, Kieran Culkin for Secession, Matthew McFadden for Secession, I mean, look at that! Three, all for secession. Um, you got the Squid Game in there again. That supporting actress—I mean, Patricia Arquette—she always brings the thunder, man. Mm. That Severance, Julie Garner for Ozark, and ah, uh, that is—she's one of my favorite, uh, you know, young actresses. She's just brilliant in everything she she does. Oh yeah, uh, Jung Hoo for Squid Game, Christina Ritchie, who's always been. Uh, a sweet, sweet honey, uh, uh, love of mine. But, ah. uh, you know, I got married. So sorry, Christina Ricci. Um, and then the list goes on and on. But, you know, secession, when you look, look at secession, Sarah Snoop for secession, I mean, look at secession, it's not just that they've been nominated for the amount of Emmys in each category, it's multiple nominations,
1: multiple noms. Yeah. Yeah, and look jumping ahead, I had uh the breakout hulu hit uh Only Murders in the Building with 17 nominations including their two lead actors going head to toe for the same award.
0: Yeah. And Steve and Martin's come up in I mean
1: Steve Martin, Martin Short, you know, just hopefully <laughs> they don't mix it up like like uh like Moonlight, you know, cuz they can start with the Martin and you think it's Steve Martin and then it's Martin Short. You know. Yeah. <laughs> they share a name. Oh crap, that could be a moment.
0: Yeah. Um <laughs> So we're going to come back to this uh, on our next Screen Heat Miami and building up to the Emmys itself. We'll get into oh, yeah. some of the some of the other categories. But, man, when you talk about HBO being back, HBO is back. They are back and badder than ever. I'm happy to see it. Yeah, so.
1: they're they're getting back to their old ways as the sort of the godfather of premium television. That's for sure. Yeah. You know, But as I like to say, it's not TV. It's HBO. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> remember that old straight line. Yeah. But uh, yeah. but yes, another great episode. Oh, I gotta give a quick update on the screen heat kids. I have to guess tease starting their first Disney commercial this weekend. Woo! Yes, along with the whole family, actually. The beautiful wife Sylvia was involved. I was involved. Little baby Gabriel, which Ugh. you know, uh, is, is maybe about a year away from from getting interviewed himself on screen heat. Uh, Preschool is working its way to get him camera ready I thought you were going to uh, say a year Mike away ready. from superstardom Maybe, well yeah, no, they're all little superstars I, I don't want to give too much away But when okay. the commercial is released We're definitely going to highlight it Maybe we'll even bring the screen kids back For uh, a special play-by-play on their on their big Disney breakout roles But it's, it, it's going to be something
0: Bring them back That was my first career in front of the camera. I remember those days.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes. An actor's life for me, as Pinocchio would say.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So uh, we will be back with a fresh new Screen Heat Miami um, in the next, in the following weeks. We have one more interview from our Miami media and film market, Trifecta, another super exciting one. And um, I have to say, we're having a redux from one of our former guests, Matthew Stein, who drops knowledge. Ooh. So f- until the next one, I'm Kevin Sharpley. I'm JL Martinez. And this is Screen Heat Miami. Dolly. Boom.